Why, hello, women of the Grove. Welcome to the Grove Podcast. I'm Brittany West, and today we have such a wonderful treat for each of you. Dear friend and Grove girl herself, Lisa Harper, is sitting down with our very own Courtney Pray Duke to exegete and review the truth in God's Word about beginning the work. Lisa helps us understand both through the Word of God and in her light comedic way, all the benefits of embracing the days we begin kingdom work in its infancy. If you are at the start of a season or thinking about beginning a new thing, this is absolutely the God-ordained message for your life. So grab your Bible and your journal and let's join them. Lisa, I'm so excited about this. I, I cannot too. tell you how honored I am to get to share this time with you. And oh, just to... honor, schmonor. Yeah. The last time I saw you, we were dancing in North Carolina. That this is, is not true. honor. This is family reunion, baby. I saw your face and my cheeks started to cramp. I'm so I happy to see so you. so much. This, uh, seriously, I, I there's no one else I'd rather go dancing with than you. Me too. I'm so grateful for you. you and your friendship with Shelly in the Grove is so special. I love the Grove. I am kind of a Grove groupie. Yes. Well, we all love you for sure. So today we're going to be talking about embracing your beginning. And mm. I just want to talk about the significance of the early days of simply beginning. Uh, mm. When God calls you into a new season of purpose and the weight that comes from uh, just beginning in faith. And so often, I think our tendency is to despise those early days and the yeah. small beginnings yeah. that come with them. We can also just give in to the lie that this is so insignificant. Why am I doing right. this? Like, what right. in the world? I thought God said this, but I'm not seeing anything yet. And I just love that out of God's word, he speaks straight to this, mm -hmm. that in his word, he has a word in his word for us today. So let's go. I'm going to read from Zechariah 4.10, uh, the New Living Translation. Mm. And it says, Do not despise these small beginnings, mm -hmm. for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. Yeah. So, Lisa, I'd love for you to unpack this um, and just start with the depth of the lineage of Zerubbabel and give context to, to what this means and how that's so important for all of our lives. Yeah. You know, I think if it's okay with you, I'll just give context to genealogies at large in scripture, because we tend to want to skip over those genealogies and go, this just does not, how does this apply to me now? You know, I'm listening to this. I'm driving my kids to school. They're fighting over some imaginary line in the back seat, or I failed keto, you know, three days into the new year. Why in the world should Zerubbabel and this lineage matter to me? Mm -hmm. The reason it matters is there's no junior varsity with the Lord. What he's speaking to Zerubbabel, and you know, he was one of the main leaders that led the Israelites back to um, back to Jerusalem after they had been. Um, uh, they'd been taken into captivity in Babylon, and they were there for 70-ish years, and it had been tough. You know, they're they're living in captivity. God uses this man's Zerubbabel to take them back, but the context is basically, trust me, and put one foot in front of the other. You know, if you lost the temple, you know, y'all have been grieving for this season— 
just trust me. And he gives this lineage and you see that effectively what God is saying is, I haven't forgotten you. I have not forgotten you. He does the exact same thing in Chronicles. He does the same thing with lineage in Matthew. As a matter of fact, court in Matthew chapter one, which is kind of the, um, you know, it's kind of the the Rodney Dangerfield Christmas story. It doesn't get enough respect because we always go to Luke and the baby in the barn and that one's so warm. Matthew is a genealogy. So it's a real unlikely Christmas story. Mm-hmm. Well, in that genealogy in Matthew, Zerubbabel is listed. So you go from way back here when he's basically beginning what what he he thinks may be a small thing. You fast forward to the Gospel of Matthew and you go, oh, he's in the lineage of the Messiah. So you're right. Small things in the economy of God are are not minor. God uses everything to build on kingdom purposes. And so I love that verse the context of that verse covers everything in Holy Writ. It's whatever you're doing, do it with your whole heart for the sake of the gospel. Mm. And when God blows on it, there's no such thing as a small thing. Mm. It's beautiful. I love that. So much trust, right? I, mm-hmm. And how beautiful to remember that we are not forgotten. Never then, uh, forgotten. Even that there's this really interesting thing. I don't know if you read through because that passage you have, there's all this play in that passage and in the other prophets and Ezra and Nehemiah, because they're going back to rebuild the temple. And it mentions these three guys who basically have lost their papers. They didn't bring their 23 and me to, you know, from <laughs> Babylon, they got lost. And Zerubbabel basically says, Let's wait because they, you know, back then lineage was was just hugely important, especially with the priesthood. And these three guys couldn't prove their priestly lineage. And Zerubbabel says, "Let's wait. Like basically, don't have them go back to to their jobs as priest in full because we can't prove they're from that lineage. But let's pray." He's mm-hmm. such a kind king and getting them back. He's such a kind leader. So even these people who would be so easily just kind of kicked to the curb and forgotten, Zerubbabel's like, no, let's wait. And you see that in some of those numbering passages, God even numbers the like the donkeys. Mm. And you're like, so what does that mean to us? Mm-hmm. It means that on the day when you feel totally invisible, God counts you are we not infinitely more important mm-hmm. than a farm animal? Of course, we're made in His image. We're His beloved. Um, we're we're Imago Dei, image bearers of the Most High God. So there is nobody insignificant in God's estimation. We are all so important, and the fact that He chooses us mm-hmm. to be involved in kingdom purposes as many times as we rebel and disobey and forget. Um, and again. There's the genealogies. He's saying, I remember you. I want you to remember I've called you. I remember you, even though you were rebellious, even though the discipline came and you were taken captivity in Babylon. I haven't forgotten you. I remember every syllable of every name of all my people. So beautiful. What a miracle. So much to trust God for in starting. Um, Lisa, you weren't always a theologian and a Bible teacher (laughs) and a preacher, Share Courtney, how- Courtney, many would say I'm not a theologian now, so <laughs> that's a very gracious term. <laughs> well, but share how God has been faithful in your own life when you simply agreed to begin the work. I just agreed. Um, 
Yeah, I had no people oftentimes, just because I'm old, um, I'm turning 60 this summer, so I keep saying Amazing. it to get used to it. Um, it. But once you get the age of where you can get discounts in it, at McDonald's, you know, people are like, how did you come by this wisdom? I'm like, well, I'm just old. I'm not necessarily wise. But oftentimes in those conversations, people will ask me, well, what was your five-year plan? What was your 10-year plan? I, I never had a five-year plan or a 10-year plan. I just went, I, I think, you know, the one thing I'm, I'm halfway decent at is telling stories. And I remember, Courtney, being in a camp my senior year in high school. It was a Christian girls camp in Black Mountain, North Carolina. And they had asked me to do like a camper's testimony before the main speaker. And I think they just asked me because I was the, you know, the most verbose of the campers. So they were like, give her a microphone. She'll probably talk because she's a gabber. <laughs> and so I get up and I share some some short testimony. And then the woman, I'll never forget it. Her name is Rebecca Manley Pippert. She used to work for um, uh, InterVarsity. She had written a book called Out of the Salt Shaker into the World. And I'd read her book, so I thought she was really cool. Well, she gets up to speak. And several times she says, you know, as Lisa said, well, I didn't know. I'm a kid. I'm 17 years old. I don't know that that's really just a polite way to honor the person in front of you, even if it's a windbag teenager. And I thought, oh, she remembered my name. You know, she she reiterated something I said about God. And I remember watching this woman thinking, man, if I could tell stories about Jesus, mm. if that was my vocation, Wow, how cool would that be? Because when I was growing up in the 80s, I graduated from high school in 81, from college in, in 85. There was no template for women in ministry leadership unless you were married to a pastor or could play the piano um, or went to some you know first world country and lived in a hut, which I've always really loved running water. So I wasn't sure that was my calling. <laughs> And But watching her as a 17-year-old, I just remember saying, Lord, if you can use the fact that I love to tell stories for your glory, man, I'm in. Come on. But I didn't think I'll go to seminary, I'll, I'll work in vocational ministry. None of that was in my mind. It was just, man, I love Jesus, and he's my favorite person mm -hmm. to talk about. And so that started this trajectory I never could have imagined. There were Again, there was no paradigm for that when I was growing up. And I was just, I was just in love with Jesus and moving toward Jesus and got my first ministry job out of undergrad working with kids. Mm. I've been to, I think, every locker room in the state of Tennessee. <laughs> and back in the day, you could go into a public school and share the gospel, mm. but you had to be engaging enough for the kids to want to get out of class, <laughs> which meant you didn't have to be that engaging. They're so excited to get out of class. <laughs> but there'd be all these kids in a locker room kind of with their arms crossed going, who's the chick here with this youth ministry mm -hmm. down? Talk to us about Jesus. So I learned to tell stories fast, mm -hmm. to keep kids engaged. And again, it was just, it was it was a, a decades of small beginnings. Mm, and I loved all of them. Beautiful. I didn't, I wasn't thinking I'm building this for something bigger. Yeah. I just thought I want to be, you know, I want to be all in wherever he has me. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when people talk about small beginnings, I think of Andrew and Peter. And, you know, Andrew, he was probably, I don't know, a six on the Enneagram, you know. 
Peter's this loud seven or eight. If you're an Enneagram person, he's definitely, you know, the more charismatic in his personality, the two brothers. But had it not been for Andrew, who's probably more con- contemplative, maybe a smidge more Courtney than Lisa, Peter wouldn't have met the Christ. So you go, okay, thousands came to know Jesus after Pete began preaching in Acts. Um, once God restored him after he threw Jesus under the bus. So again, it's not always the brightest and the best. It's usually those that recognize their need for Jesus. Mm. But, you know, those first two um, fancy words, the Patrine sermons mm. in the book of Acts, you have 8,000 people get saved. So it's real easy to look at the affect of Peter's ministry and go, oh, wow, that dude was lit for God. And I go, let's not forget Andrew. Peter wouldn't have met the Christ had it not been for his Mm -hmm. brother. And so that's not a small beginning. That's massive. He introduced Peter to Jesus. So when you talk about the body of Christ— you know, the little toe is every bit as important as the mouth because you'd fall over if you didn't have the balance from your that's, little toe. Right. And and so um, I love what Friedrich Beekner. he's, uh, I love all the dead theologians, but I quoted him recently as dead and I got a message that he is actually alive and well and living in New York City. So this is a still alive theologian, um, much older. His name is Friedrich Beekner. But this is what he says about calling. He says, the place God calls you to mm. is a place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger mm. meet. So the place God calls you to, even if it feels insignificant in the moment, if you can bring all the gifts God has given you to bear, and maybe like me, you don't have that many. Maybe you're just a, a windbag. But you bring that gift to bear, and the world is hungry in that place. The world is desperate for hope. Then God will bless that. Mm. You know, I use a lot of levity. I love talking about the deep things of God. I finished the academic portion of a doctorate at Denver Seminary recently. I'm finishing my thesis right now. I love talking about the deep things of God. Mm. But sometimes if I use too many multisyllabic theological terms, I can see people's eyes glaze over. They're just like, oh, help me, Jesus. I want to stick my hand in a blender. If I tell stories that people relate to, and then those stories are the ellipses that goes to the narrative scripture that over and over and over again says, our God loves us. Our God loves us. On our worst day, he loves us. He longs to be closer to us. Then then maybe just maybe my windbaggy stories can lead people to the hope of Christ. Mm. Um, So I don't take myself too seriously, but I take the things of God very seriously. Mm. You don't have to be an order. You don't have to be Louis Giglio. You don't have to have the brilliant brain of Shelley Giglio. You just have to say, Jesus, everything I have is yours. And I'm gonna and I'm gonna come to the table with expectancy. Yes. Cause I know even as dinky as this is, mm-hmm. he uses donkeys and rocks all throughout scripture. Yeah. And so he's gonna take my hot mess stuff. And if I'm yielded mm-hmm. to him, he's gonna use it for, for kingdom purposes. How cool is that? That is so incredible. Oh, how beautiful that he wants to use us. And yeah. you know, it's it's the availability. That you stood right. there and you were like, here I am, Lord. You know, you're, yeah. you weren't looking into decades ahead. Like you said, it was mm-hmm. just, I'm in love with you. You're in love right. with me. Your eye is on right. me. Use me as a vessel for your glory. Right. 
And right. how how beautiful, just that that deep gladness and deep hunger. Yeah, Ooh, isn't that cool? Lisa, that's so that good. Cool? Um, so give us examples of what gets cultivated. Um, what are the things that get cultivated in our lives in those beginning season? So mm-hmm. show us what it looks like to carry the weight and the waiting. Um, I love that, carry the weight and the waiting. Um I think the most profound thing we learn, I I was actually talking to my nephew about this recently. He's in his first, you know, real job out of college. And I said, honey, here's what you're going to learn over the next year. You're going to learn to get back up and and start all over again. You're going to learn to get up every morning earlier than you like, and you're going to put on your your work clothes, and you're going to go to work with a good attitude. And and you're going to learn what it is to be faithful in small things. And I said, and, and your faithfulness as a 23-year-old will build into what you dream of. You dream of management. You dream of you're entrepreneurial. You may want to start your own company. Everything you're doing right now is scaffolding. You are building a scaffolding that can carry big things, that can carry significant things. That doesn't mean you can't do significant things when you're younger, but when we're younger, it's all about building a scaffolding. I love Eugene Peterson, who has passed away and is with Jesus now. And Eugene Peterson explains faithfulness as a long walk in the same direction. Mm. And to me, that's what I learned in my in my 20s and 30s. Chris Kane and I talk about this a lot because our culture seems to be so focused on bright and shiny. Mm. How many followers you have, how broad your platform is, how significant your brand is. And, and, and that's pretty self-focused. And I'm like, gosh, I'm so delighted God allows me to do what I do. But God is not going to be in any way handicapped mm. if I don't if I don't do my job tomorrow. We have a sovereign, holy, transcendent, loving God who is self-sustaining, self-sufficient. So mm. if I don't do my tiny part, the rocks will cry out. Mm. But Chris and I talk often about how we're so grateful that we spent 10 years in youth ministry, or the better part of it, stacking chairs. Yes. I mean, Courtney, when I was... You know, when I was 23, I just hoped I'd get enough gas money to go from one school where I'd share the gospel to the next school. Mm. And if they gave me a T-shirt, yes! <laughs> you know, we there was no social media. And I'm mm. not trying to sound like I'm dissing any of modern culture. There's just a different set of expectations. Mm-hmm. When I was in my 20s in youth ministry, you kind of expected to be poor and unseen because they, we didn't have kind of the professional Christianity. You didn't have Instagram posts. You didn't have all the bright and shiny. It was you show up and you do the thing and you do hard things and you do Mm -hmm. it for the honor and the glory of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And golly, if you get more than that, wow, you know, that's icing on the cake, but it's not the cake. The cake is we get to be aligned with a God who adores us. I got to get my little beater car Mm -hmm. and listen to cassette tapes. (laughs) We didn't have real worship music. We had, well, I'm not going to talk about the bands we had because then it'll sound like I'm, listen, I was fired up to have what (laughs) I had. But we listened to, you know, what little music there was about God. And it wasn't the quality that it is today, but I mean, I loved it. Mm-hmm. I had paper maps all over my car. There's no GPS. There's no Apple CarPlay. You're just doing it because you love Jesus. Yeah. And I couldn't imagine doing anything else. And so the fact that now I actually get to, I, I'm stunned. I still get mm-hmm. to talk about Jesus for a living. I'm 
thoroughly gobsmacked no. by it that anyone would listen. The fact that I get to write a book about Jesus. Amazing. Oh, my heavens, mm-hmm. Betsy, I feel like somewhere somebody's being punked mm-hmm. that <laughs> I get to use, you know, what small gifts I have for God's glory. Beautiful. And he's chosen to to give me a, you know, a, a small place. I can pay my mortgage. I can, mm-hmm. I can feed my daughter, you know, mm-hmm. and put clothes on her back. Because I, I tell stories about Jesus and write books about Jesus. I'm undone by it. But the goal isn't brand and the goal isn't yeah. platform. Really, the goal is I, I want to I wanna lean more fully into Jesus' arms. And I want to encourage other people who don't yet know mm-hmm. how much he loves them to move toward Jesus. Mm-hmm. At the end of my life, if a couple of people say, I moved closer to Jesus because of something Lisa said or wrote. I, that's that's enough for me. Yeah, oh, so beautiful. What a privilege. Um, I think this generation, um, you're so true. There's so much just contesting for you know what should just come from a pure place mm-hmm. of literally just. I love you, Jesus. Right. Right. So I think the challenge that we're up against is trading kind of on a day-to-day basis is trading despise for delight. Right. The Lord rejoices. He rejoices right. in our yes, just like we read about with Zerubbabel, like the Lord rejoices in yeah. these small to see the work begin, right? Right. And so if he delights in our obedience of simply just beginning, then we can come right. into agreement with God, trading right. our despise for delight. And that's what right. I see in your right. life. That's what that's what you're talking about. Um, is just purely walking in the delight of Jesus, right. knowing that His eyes are on you, and Absolutely. what's going to come from that is glory. Like it's going to bring Him glory. That's right. And and it's so much less, I think, Courtney, about what we do than who we do it with. Yes. Um, you said the keyword alignment. The fact that I get to be aligned Mm. with Jesus. The fact that I get to like this past weekend, I was at a church in California and um, at the end of service, we had a time where we invited people to come to know Jesus who didn't know him. And this several people responded. We had quite a few people respond, but there was this one, I call him a kid. He was probably 30. Big old boy. I mean, looked like he was a weightlifter or a bouncer or something, just great big guy, super macho. And I'm standing up front just because I love to like all run down and grab them and pull them. I mean, I'm just so excited people are, are coming to Christ. Well, this this kid, giant 30-year-old kid, kind of comes around the corner. He sees me and I just grin because I'm like, how cool that this, that this just amazing young man who looks like a massive oak tree is humbling himself to say, I need Jesus. So he comes toward me and he just falls in Mm. my arms and I'm half holding this giant linebacker up and he just begins to weep. Mm. And he said something very kind about the way he understood how Jesus loved him through something I'd said. And I called his name and I said, honey, God would have used anything. Mm. God would have used a tree, God would have used a billboard on the on the 401. God would have used anything because he's had his eye on you and he was not going to let you miss him. I got to be here this Sunday. Yeah. 
and to get to watch you fall into the arms of Jesus, run into the arms of Jesus. I said, honey, I would have walked to California from Tennessee to see this. Mm. I mean, I can't believe I get to do what I do because I, as I'm standing there watching this big old boy for the first time in his life believe that Jesus loved him, got to pray with him afterwards. Mm. It's like I could That's sense cool. in that moment the God of the universe go, isn't this cool? I'm like, yes, it's so cool. It's so amazing. I can't wow. believe I get to mm. be a part of kingdom purposes. You know, it's like yes. the greatest thing. I mean, can you imagine being there when they discovered penicillin? Mm. You're in the lab and they go, yo, and you're there. You're in the room. You you actually saw it happen infinitely beyond that. We get to effectively be in the room with a God of the universe mm. as he calls hopeless people home to himself. I mean, there's that's so wildly significant. Yeah. We just need to reframe our idea of significance. Mm. It's not about platform. It's not about yeah. followers. It's not about bright lights. Those things can be part of it, but significance is about intimacy with God. It's mm-hmm. the God of the universe slinging his arm around your shoulders when you're in alignment with him going, wasn't that amazing? It's about the God mm-hmm. of the universe putting his arm around you, Court, at passion and going, you see all these kids? You see all these 18 to 22-year-olds? I love them, Courtney. Mm-hmm. I love them so much that I'm going to show myself to them in a way that they won't miss me. And you go, yes, sir. Yes. You just yes. want to be with them. Yes. God, that's so good, Lisa. I already warned you I was a talker. I'm sorry. Concise is I'm not I'm loving this. I'm just taking <laughs> all of this in. You are blessing my life today. So it makes me think about how can we practically shield from the enemy's temptation to despise our own early days? What are some things mm. that we can practically do to shield from that, that temptation to fall into, oh, well, this is so small. What can God make of it? You said earlier, there's nothing too small in the economy of God. Yeah. He can take... Yeah. Little is much, you know, when God is is in it. It reminds me of that old song. So what are some ways how we can practically shield from the enemy's constant just wanting to take us out? I think the the for me, it's, again, it's pretty simplistic. Last night I was doing Missy's homework, sixth grade homework. And and it was about three hours of sixth grade homework. And we spent a lot of time on her spelling words. And I'm just sitting there with Missy for three hours doing spelling words and doing a persuasive paragraph. And my child was supposed to die when she was two years old after her mom died in Haiti. And my child, they told me at the orphanage, would probably never walk or talk. Mm. And um, doctors in Port-au-Prince told me not to even try to adopt her because she would die before I brought her home to Tennessee. And there we are at the kitchen table And my kid stinking spelled words like employment correctly. Mm -hmm. She got all her AI words. We we were laughing, making up crazy sentences. She's learning how to do her little watch app thing. I had the best time for three hours doing sixth grade vocabulary with my Mm -hmm. kid. That wasn't a small thing. That was glorious. It was one of the greatest gifts to go. My kid's brain is is working. My daughter is, I'm I'm undone at the life in her. If we will focus on who we're with, Mm. 
we're focused on who we're doing it with. It doesn't really matter if you're driving off across town or you're going to the Super Bowl. It, it's the company we keep. Mm-hmm. And so if you're, you know, if you're basically sweeping the door, if you're, as Louie talks about, if you're a gatekeeper, but you know, standing there at the gate with you is the God who breathed the universe in, into existence, who longs to commune with us and have conversation with us, and he inclines his ear to listen to us. It changes everything. And so, I mean, Malcolm Gladwell has written some great stuff on process. One of the best books I would encourage um, everybody to read is The Mission of God's People uh, by Christopher Wright. This book is stinking amazing when it comes to the process, purpose, some of the things you're talking about. They know way more than me as far as giving some practical one, two, threes. Um, My practical one through two, three is enjoy the moment. You know, uh, another thing um, Beekner says is he says life itself is grace. Mm-hmm. Um, all the moments are grace. Yeah. Every moment, it, it it's grace. I was, you know, in the hospital with COVID a year and a half ago. And there's just a day or so that was, it was tricky. There was, there's a moment where it looked like I might not, um, might not live. Mm-hmm. Or if I did that, I would be on, on, um, oxygen for the rest of my life. And Courtney, it was this kind of feeling of, I've had an amazing life. I didn't want to leave Missy. I didn't want Missy to be orphaned again. And I'm certainly not ready to die. But I thought, gosh, there've been so many moments that I was an idiot. And there were so many mistakes I've made. But God has been so kind. Mm -hmm. I look back over my life. I've never seen his back. He's always been with me. And so when you go, I'm going to, I'm going to choose to see today as everything that happens, I get to be with Jesus. And so, so everything is cake. Enjoy the moment. Hmm, Don't be so preoccupied that when I get there, when I'm head of the company, when I've got a thousand followers, when I get the book deal, I'm like, oh my goodness, what is he doing now? What's he doing today? Because what he's doing today, what I do now is not any more significant and quite frankly it's no more fun than what i did when i was in my 20s i had a blast in my Mm -hmm. 20s Mm -hmm. i was poor as a church mice (laughs) there was no such thing as social media no one knew my name Mm -hmm. it was a riot it was wonderful it's the paradigm's different you know the circumstances are different my heart is more mature my my metabolism is slower (laughs) but the joy of getting to go through every day with Jesus and be part of kingdom pur- purposes, it's not more significant now. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm a little more grown, mm. but there's no more significance in what I do today than there was in what I did when I was 22 years old in a beater car driving to the backwoods of Tennessee, mm. hoping 10 kids would show up in the locker room and I'd get to tell them Jesus loved wow. them. Come on, that is just so beautiful. Lisa, you've encouraged me so much, and mm-hmm. I know that so many, so many people are going to be blessed by this and encouraged um, to just stay in the moment, fall in love with Jesus, seek Him, because nothing else compares. Nothing else even matters. And if He, you know, if He's in it, I'm in. If He's not in it, I don't want it. <laughs> and Courtney, you know this, but if we. I don't, I don't think anybody listening would do this intentionally, but if you're so future focused about significance, 
you make an idol out of it. And you tend to worship what may or may not happen. God may change the trajectory of your life. I meet so many young women who are so obsessed about getting a book deal or a, a a podcast. And I'm like, what are you doing now? And they're like, well, I'm, I'm, and I'm like, oh my heavens, you're you're gonna waste ten years of your life oh, because it's like the greyhounds chasing a rabbit at the track. Mm. I'm like, you're just gonna run and run and run. And what if that's actually not what God has for you? Right? Are you loving what you're doing today? Because He's called you to today, mm-hmm. every bit as much as He will call you to tomorrow. Don't miss today. Make an idol out of tomorrow. Yeah. Enjoy where He's called you today. That too is sovereign. That's God's mercy. Can I read you one last quote? Yes, please. From this Christopher Wright book. Christopher Wright, and this is about purpose, significance. He says, it is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, Mm. God's mission. Mm. So when you think of yourself as God's church, and we are, we're the, the the bride of Christ, the church of Christ. We were made mm. for today. Mm. We were made for today. Today is significant. Mm. If it's small in the eyes of man, or if it's really impressive in the eyes of man and you're getting a lot of accolades, um, what matters is who you're doing it with. We were we were made for this. What a beautiful, beautiful partnership we have with Almighty God. Yeah. I'm so, so grateful. And I'm so encouraged by you, Lisa. You just have so much to offer. And I love learning from you. Mm. I love laughing with you. (laughs) And um, I would love for you to close us out in prayer. I'd love to. And um, for those that are in a season of beginning, you know, just praying, praying for them that they would be shielded from the temptation of the enemy to think, oh, bigger is better. And, you know, all of these things that they they would really have a hunger and a desire to, to have, to have that union with Jesus and walk with him and learn from him and be loved by him. And love him more and more and more every day. Um, mm. So, would you pray for those that are in that season right now? I will. Thank I you. will. Can I be? Can I be bossy before we pray? Well, yes, ma'am. Um, any of y'all, um, amazing, amazing Grove girls, or right at the the edge of the Grove. Maybe you've never been to the Grove, but you really um, are so blessed by the Grove podcast. If you're in a place where you can lean back. As we pray, I want to encourage you to lean back, and I want to encourage you to lean back because um, John the Apostle, and he's the one who said five times, I'm the one Jesus loved, I'm the one Jesus loved, I'm the one Jesus He was so secure in the love of Christ. Early in his life, when he was just, he was a teenager, he was about 13, 14 years old, New Testament scholars say, that was um, when he leaned against Jesus at the Last Supper. And he literally reclined, physically, literally reclined against Jesus' chest and, and asked him a question. Well, at the end of John's life, when he was in his 60s, um, he said that's that was the, the, the defining moment of his life. Um, that was at the end of John's gospel. That's normally where you would say, here's where I went to school. Here's the rabbi I studied under. Here's what legitimizes me as an author. And instead of saying those big, bright, shiny things, the accolades, John said, I'm the one who leaned against Jesus Mm. when I was a kid. 
and and that had marked the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. And so, especially if you're feeling significant, the place we need to start is to be held, Mm -hmm. is to remember we're seen by God. Um, He he applauds for us when the world doesn't, and he holds us when we feel invisible. So, would you lean back if you're able to, and put your hands palm up in your lap in the posture of receptivity? Jesus, 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 we confess as your daughters and a few brave sons that um, sometimes we get distracted by big things, by stages and platforms and followers and accolades and promotions. And sometimes we forget that the most significant thing in our life is to be seen Mm. by you. And so, Lord, today we ask that through your Holy Spirit, you would give us a supernatural reset. That for a moment, you would remind us to lean into your embrace. That your embrace is what would define us for the rest of today. For the rest of today, it wouldn't be about our accomplishments. It would be about your affection. Teach us to start there, Jesus. Teach us to start as your beloved. I'm the one. He loves. And then to live the rest of our day out of that posture, out of the posture of being held by you. Lord, for those who feel especially invisible right now, I pray um, by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would speak to them in a way that they could hear it today, that there would be a sign, there would be a dream, there would be affirmation from a Barnabas in their life. And, and it would be so significant, and maybe nobody else would recognize the, the personal significance of it, but they would know in that moment, oh, he really does see me. Mm-hmm. So, Lord, I pray that you would make yourself real. Thank you for your promise in the Psalms. No good thing will you withhold from us if we're moving toward you. So, Lord, for these who feel unseen, um, insignificant, they feel like they are not even doing small things yet. They're doing microsmal things. Oh, Lord Jesus, mm-hmm. would you reveal yourself to them in such a such a uh, tangible way today yes. that they would start from there. They would go, oh, my goodness, that felt yes. huge. The God of the universe loves me. Mm-hmm. We ask these things, Jesus, by the power and the efficacy of your name and the power and the efficacy of the blood you shed on our behalf. Because even while we're insignificant, you loved us. Mm-hmm. You said, those are my people. I'm going to set my affection, my name, my redemption on them. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Yes. Amen. Amen. Ah, oh, amen. God, we thank you for the small things and the beginning stages. And Lisa, we thank you for speaking such joy and life over the start of a new thing. To find out if Lisa will be in a city near you or to hear more great content, visit lisaharper.org. As always, our team wants to invite you to stay connected to All Things Grow. If you haven't already, then please like, share, and subscribe to stay dialed into new conversations being released here on The Growth Podcast. And stay connected to us by following us on Instagram at PCC underscore The Grove. We are so grateful that you would spend some time with us today. Let's be winsome and think of a friend who might need to hear and benefit from this message. Or feel free to just stick around a while and listen to more episodes filled with truth. Whatever you do, make sure that you join us here again next time on The Grove Podcast.